when you identify with the death of Jesus, you're identifying and allowing everything that enslaved you to be buried with his death. You are listening to the Braveheart Podcast. For more information about Braveheart Ministries, visit braveheartministries.org. They get to the Red Sea. So you see the, the sea parts. They walk through on dry ground. I love to imagine the scriptures. I would like to be that last like company of people who like got through and were looking and the waters are still up and Pharaoh's in. You know what I'm saying? Because there's like a million folks. So the people on the way front that were already kind of in the wilderness were, maybe didn't have a best view. But the people that were like just coming up out of the sea and they're looking at their feet, they're like, why is there no mud on my ground, on my feet? Because it's dry ground. Probably freaking out. And Pharaoh, like, th- think of the rumble of the chariots, <laughs> ground shaking, because it's on dry ground. And all of a sudden, they go into confusion, their wheels start to clog, and they literally see, <sighs> and all of that rumbling in a matter of minutes or, I don't know, quiet. <sighs> and all they hear is just, <sighs> 400 years of slavery in a moment drowned. So, the, the blood dealt with the death angel and saved them from the death angel, but the waters of the Red Sea dealt with Pharaoh. Put my faith in Jesus. Now get baptized. Why? When you identify with the death of Jesus, you're identifying and allowing everything that enslaved you to be buried with His death. This is so much more than a public proclamation that you're now saved. It's so much more than that. Now, if I'm really honest, I believe we've had a generation in the New Covenant of a Moses-type leadership that has gone into Egypt, and I thank God for Moses, and I thank God for his ministry. And he's gone, and his, Moses' sole ministry was, we got to get people out of hell. we gotta, we got to get people saved. This is where this came from. We've got to get people saved. Now, Israel right here was completely saved from Pharaoh and from the death angel. They were not going to hell and they were born again here. Now, but my Bible says that God, that wasn't the end of the salvation story. He wanted them to bring them out so that he can bring them into the promised land. And why did he want to bring them in the promised land? If you've studied Abraham, it was so that he could give them houses they didn't build. He could give them all manner of blessing so that he and his family could be a blessing to the world. God wanted, God always wants his family to bless the world. That's the heart of God. He's so generous. So he gives us things we don't deserve, but it's not just to make us all fat and happy. He actually wants you to become a blessing. He wants you to go and serve the nations with the bounty that you've received. Okay? And so, so I believe a generation has been orphaned just on the other side of the Red Sea. But here's, here's what I also believe. I believe a generation of Joshua-type leaders are being raised up. Amen. And they're saying, now it's time to cross the Jordan and go into the Promised Land. 
Now I want you to see this. There's a couple of things. I won't have time to super go into them because I want to show you uh, the Joshua thing. Um, But when Moses sets up the tabernacle, so you know that was the reason that God brought them up is so that they may worship me. That's what he said, right? So when, when, God, when Moses went up the mountain, God said, Hey, Mo, um, listen, I want you to set up this tabernacle, and I want you to worship me in this way. You know God likes to be worshipped in a specific way. He, didn't, he wasn't just like, Oh, you know, however you want is fine with me. It was a very elaborate system. You had the, the, the open court, and this is where they had the blood. And then you had the bronze laver that had the water. And this was all in the outer courts. And then inside, you had this table of showbread. You had the candles. I'm not going to go all into it. But you have this picture of the tabernacle. But this was the place of worship. And then you have the Holy of Holies. I don't even know what I'm doing here. That's the Holy of Holies. Okay? But listen, what was this about? This was about worship. This was about worship unto God. So they're out in the wilderness killing animals, and it was their spiritual act of worship. They couldn't do that in Israel in bondage to Egypt. They couldn't do this system. So God was now being worshipped, and it was this fragrant thing. Listen, it's the same today. You get born again. God breathes His Holy Spirit, and you become a living tabernacle to worship God. But I want you to see, even as a worshiper becoming a living tabernacle, you can still not be experiencing the promised land. They were still in the wilderness wandering around. So then Moses dies. Moses dies and Joshua is raised up in his place. And God says, all right, Joshua, you're the one that's going to take them into the promised land. Now, when they crossed the Red Sea, they crossed it with Moses' staff, right? How did they cross the Jordan? You guys know that these waters of the Red Sea biblically corresponds to our baptism in water, right? You see that picture? You put your faith in Jesus, the blood, the blood gets applied to your heart, and you don't go to hell. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So the blood upon the altar of our heart saves us from the death that we deserve. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're saved from separation from God. But just because spiritually we're saved from going to hell doesn't mean that my my soul is saved and that I can actually live free from a slave mindset. Right? Do you see it? Like they, they wandered in the wilderness because they still had a slavery mindset because for 400 years that's all they knew. That's all they knew. And so they wandered around in unbelief, not able to go in. Why? Because all they knew is how to be a slave. They couldn't fathom the possibility of inheriting a home that they didn't work for or build. I mean, you've got to, like, this is like, think of the poorest country you know and and people that are just in abject poverty. Imagine taking that a group, like a thousand of them, just a thousand, and going into Highland Park and saying, hey, FYI, you're going to take over these homes, the nicest homes in Highland Park, and you're going to inherit their 401ks, you're going to inherit their pools, you're going to inherit all of their cabinets. They would not know what to do with that. That would break their operating system. They needed an upgrade in their thinking, right? 
And so that's what we're doing right now. I'm helping you understand, like, so many Christians are confused. Well, how come I can be this? And how come I... It's because we haven't understood the whole picture in God's great, beautiful plan in saving us. It's big, and it's complex, and it's beautiful, and it's a journey. It's not this just, like, one-time thing. People always are like, well, once saved, always saved. Yep, that's true. Just tell me what you're saved from. How saved are you? That's my question. Someone's like, hey, I want to date this girl. Like, well, how saved is she? <laughs> how much does she look like Jesus? That should be the question you ask. Like, how, how, how Christ-like are they? That's a better question. <laughs> it really is. Are they meek? Are they gentle? Are they kind? Like, you can tell when someone's been saved because they actually look like Jesus. That has to be the new litmus test for Christians. Oh, Please let it be the new litmus test is, is does your life and the way that you are, not just what you, what you say and you say all the right things, but is the way you are reflect the Messiah? Do, does your life reflect the master who will, who will bend down and wash the feet of those who betray him? See, I can tell quickly how much the gospel's been at work in your heart by how you respond to betrayal by how you respond to people who let you down. Why? Because in our flesh, we respond and we want to punch back. But Jesus responds and he says, no, Judas. And he looks at him right in the eye. And you're not Judas, Kevin. But, but he looks at him right in the eye and he's like, he knows what he's going to do. And because he's love and he loved Judas to the end, he was able to get down on his knees in Judas's feet. Judas's feet, he washed. See, some of you have been, you've been betrayed. And I'm, this is now prophetic, I feel. And you've been living under the crushing weight of that betrayal. Someone close to you betrayed you, and you haven't known the way out. You've been justified. Here's the thing. You're justified. They were wrong to betray you. What they did was one million percent their fault, and you were 100 percent in the right. But the way you've been responding is not right. Because you've justified withholding your affection, and you've justified withholding anger, but you're living under the weight of that. I don't know. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to a few of you. You're living under the weight of that. And, and here's your way out. Go read John chapter 13. It's where Jesus washes Judas's feet. Now listen, you can't do that in your own strength. You can't. It's the Holy Spirit. And when you see that actually Christ lives in you, he will empower you to love that person who betrayed you. We were all okay with this, but then we got real. It's really important, though, because I forget who, if it was Jared or what. The whole point of this, guys, at the very end is that we walk out. I want to bring out the obedience of faith in your life. It's called the obedience of faith in Romans 1. Paul said, I've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith in you. When you really understand this and you start walking it out, your faith in Jesus will produce obedience. It will produce righteousness. It really will. And that's my heart. It's my heart for you guys. So <clears throat> this is water baptism. Where they wander in the wilderness. Jesus kills us. Here's his watery grave. This is where all sin and death go. This is Hebrews 2. Someone read Hebrews 2. Um, 214 for me. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep drawing. Just someone pull it up and read it. Cuz I want you to see that this corresponds. See his blood corresponds to the blood on the doorpost. His death 
in, in our baptism with Him corresponds to their baptism through the Red Sea. Right? But here's the cool thing. It's, it's so, Jesus' work is so multidimensional. It's even more than that. But it at least corresponds to that. Someone read it. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Okay. Through his death, he destroyed the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. So specifically, his death, his burial, if you will, is what dealt with the devil. Do you understand this? Do you understand that the devil was not allowed to kill Jesus? It was, it was illegal because death only came by sin. So when Jesus actually gave his life up, see, no one killed Jesus. He gave his life up. You know that his life, his life, his physical body and the life he had was eternal. It always has been. And so the only way he was going to die is if he gave up his life. He would still be on that cross in 2019 if he chose to hang on. You can't kill Jesus. If he, if he wanted to, if that was the plan, he'd still be hanging there till he paid for it all. But when he said it is finished, it was finished completely. And so when he was buried, he buried every bit. So some of you are like, well, how can I live free from sin? It's because every bit of my sinful nature was buried here. My question for you is, how can you get sinful nature through the cross and the burial of Jesus? How can, how can you as a Christian somehow sneak some of your sinful nature through the cross and through the grave and you've, you say you've identified with His cross and His grave, but somehow you snuck some sinful nature through His body and through His grave? How did you do that? It's the same way that Israel carried the mindset of Egypt through the Red Sea. That's why you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, in fact, you're saved, but your mind's still waiting to catch up. That's what's happening right now is your mind's getting renewed. And the Holy Spirit will renew your mind and give you permission to consider everything that's plaguing you right now dead. Well, you know, your Bible says that. A lot of people are confused by this. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works. People always ask me that question. They're like, you know, your Bible says work out your own salvation. I'm like, yeah, read the rest of the thing. For it is God who works. What does he work in you to do both to will and to act? So my, my will, what I want to do and what I do comes from God's work inside of me. Peter, how are you doing? It's God who works in me both to will and to act. And I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Here's how I do it. Oh, my God, you put yourself inside of me. Oh, my gosh, I'm a son of God. I'm a temple of the living God. And I, I begin to wrestle with fear. If you understand that your mortal body has become a temple of the Holy Spirit, fear and awe should grip your heart. The Bible is clear that your physical mortal body, I want you to look at your hands. I want you to look at your hands and I want you to understand that the Bible says that do you not know that your body, your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
that you were purchased with a price and that you're not your own. So here's the thing. Someone lives in you that's not you. The fear and the awe and the worship and, the, and, and how could I go on my own way? If that thought's in your heart, how could you run, a, run astray to here and there and think, well, I just do whatever I want with my own time? Or you know what I'm saying? And here's the beautiful thing, guys. It takes time to cultivate that heart with God, and He knows that. He's not like expecting, like, well, I'm mad at you now because you don't have that heart. No, He's going to father that in you. This whole class, I pray that you feel His Father's heart going, hey, don't judge where you're at right now. Don't condemn where you're at. Don't be mad or disappointed that you didn't know this before. Like, He's going to father you. He wants to father you into the promised land. There's more for you. That's the whole purpose of this is to provoke you into so that we're not bored with our spirituality so that we don't wander in the wilderness. I don't want you wandering for 40 years. What took Israel 40 years took Jesus 40 days. Do you know that? You know the picture? So I'm just going to finish it and I'll give you my notes and you can read it and then talk to me on Tuesday because uh, it's really deep and there's, I don't, there's only nine things, but there's like a hundred things, right? But I only put nine things. When he rose from the grave, just like they came up out of the sea, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. They became living tabernacles. And for 40 days, he spoke with them about the kingdom of God. And he said this, wait, wait, wait. Before you do any ministry, before you do any work, I want you to wait. Why? For the promise of my father. Does it sound familiar? They come out of the Red Sea and they're like, hey, there's a promised land that I want to bring you into. Jesus comes out of the grave and he's like, wait, there's a promise from my father I want to bring you into. Don't do anything till you get into that promise. Here's the problem with the church today. Why is the church experiencing? It's because we went before waiting and we didn't understand God's great plan. And you've had this this group under Moses in the wilderness doing ministry. And there's there's there is ministry. It's a ministry of condemnation, but it but there is glory in it. Hear me, there's glory in it. That's what your Bible says in Corinthians, that the ministry of condemnation has a glory in it. That's why there's still guys who don't understand this, and there's power and there's good fruit flowing through their lives, and people are getting born again. And I thank God for that. I do. I rejoice. People like Some people, they come to me, and they're like, I wish I knew this, and I'm mad that my parents... And Listen, I don't care. I just praise God that Christ is being preached. I do. I, this is not about any denomination. Like, I have so much. If, if this is all people are doing is going in and getting e- people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, praise God. And I trust the Holy Spirit to usher them into the promised land. I really do. But there is, it is beneficial to know this so that we can all go in together. Okay? So for 40 days, not 40 years, He prepared them to go into the promised land. So this is their Red Sea, and this is their Jordan River. And on the 50th day, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is now the purpose and the role of Pentecost. That was them crossing into the Promised Land, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They crossed one river that was red, the blood. They crossed another river, which means flowing down with the Holy Spirit. You know they put the ark in the water, the Holy Spirit. And they crossed that, that river by the Holy Spirit. They crossed this river by Moses. This one by Moses, this one by Joshua. 
Do you see the picture? And so Jesus crosses this threshold, and then he crosses this threshold, and then he says, now go. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. For more resources, visit braveheartministries.org.